Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over it. This fellow Ronaldo is a cop. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, it's actually a I have to ask you to mind your language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here, you surely man. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the first Cyrusine Second Captain's Football Podcast of the post-Brendan Rodgers era. Ken. Well, post-Brendan Rodgers at Liverpool era. Oh yeah, I, sh- I should say he's Brendan not Rogers. disappearing off the face of the earth or anything. He's still only um, he's still working his way towards his target of a thousand games. Was well, that his target as a football manager? That's what he said. Yeah, he wants to do a thousand games. So he's um, I don't know what he's got. What he's done now? Three hundred odd. That's a long way to go. You know, young he's, man. he's still a young manager. Yep. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 sad for for Brendan Rodgers. The it was shocking for Thierry Henry. And Jamie Carragher, when they were told about it. <laughs> just such an amazing piece of video. Yeah. I mean, how many things can be going on in just in just like one and a half seconds? I mean, it's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, first of all, Henri, right, who's clearly just amused by this news, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's affected. This faux shock. shock sort of, you yeah. know, he's like, you know, they, they also both seem to look directly at the camera for some reason. <laughs> but like Henri is just like, oh, this is quite funny. I mean, obviously he kind of, he, he's he's acting with total respect, uh, but it's clearly just a, oh, an interesting piece of gossip. <laughs> uh, whereas Carragher is much more, what do I say about this? You can see how that. Does this, how does this affect me? You can see the wheels turning in Carragher's head there. Yeah. Uh, you know, but well, by this stage, Henri has clasped his knee with his hand. Also, uh, yeah. which I think Carragher probably wasn't necessarily Carragher expecting. kind of froze slightly. <laughs> He's like, Thierry, now's not the time to be overly tactile. I'm trying to think my way through yeah. what my response is going to be. Too here. many things going on here. He kind of looked at the, he looked at the camera with a kind of kid caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Type of look. I didn't know what was going on. But uh, they, they spoke well. They spoke well on the subject. Henri was on the cusp of saying something really interesting. He said, um, these owners... These Liverpool owners, I don't think they like football. I think they are just using the brand. And then he kind of tailed off. And I was like, no, no, finish that thought. <laughs> yeah. where, where, is, where does that thought go? What, 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 using the brand for what? That was, in, that was really interesting. But he just kind of hinted at some mm, dark purpose that they might have. Uh, Carragher made the point that Liverpool think they're a big club and they're not. So this is an impossible job. Implication of which is, why would anyone with serious career prospects want to take it but it looks as though they do have somebody lined up well we'll talk about that and we'll talk about all of this with Dion Fanning and Simon Hughes who wrote the book that was published recently Men in White Suits about Liverpool in the 90s my second favourite reaction to of the weekend after Henri and Carragher was this from a Chelsea fan on the 100% Chelsea channel after the dispiriting defeat at home to Southampton 
And you lot, who left in the 75th minute, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should be ashamed. If you're here to watch Chelsea, you stay and you can watch Chelsea. You're not a plastic fan. If you want to do that, you can go off to sea, you stupid. You're wasting people's money who want to be here and watch Chelsea. You do your jobs as well. You support your team. If you're not going to do that, don't come to Chelsea Football Club. All right? I uh, should explain just how red this man's cheeks are getting. As Dangerously. Very, like very red. I don't, I don't quite get the logic. You're wasting other people's money by coming to Chelsea and then leaving early. Well, not really. I mean, you're wasting your own money, I guess. Well, if there's logic, I suppose, <laughs> I suppose the logic would be... Um, the team plays better with a full house oh, roaring yeah. them okay, on. Yeah, yeah. Therefore, I've paid for my ticket. You're, but you're leaving an empty seat there, which demoralizes the team. So I'm not getting the bang for my book. That m- maybe is the point he's making. I'm not sure. But you know that guy. I saw that video the other day, and I was like, this guy. These. Wait, these, you, don't, you don't like these fan videos? No, I do. But the Man United guy. I, the Man United guy, though. He, Andy Tate. Yeah. He was like a true, original, authentic voice. But now the problem is all of these fans have all seen Andy Tate and they're all trying to imitate Andy Tate, including Andy Tate. Have you seen any, any of his late... Oh, it's all very period. official, hasn't it? It's, it's uh, all, it's all, it's just, they're just imitating each other. They're trying to out- outperform each other in outrage. I mean, your man there was, was, was desperately trying to hold together. It was, it was a terrible effort, but it was just very, it's disappointing. What about the Kilmarnock fan from a few weeks back? The Kilmarnock fan I was the Kilmar- someone actually brought I that mean up. That, I'm fucking rich. <laughs> someone, That's the guy. Someone uh, tweeted me they saying, "You know who I'd get into Anfield? Big Teddy Butcher." Big Teddy Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a bit of this. That I mean, there's a bit of that going on with that guy, but mm. maybe you know he managed to give a better performance. I mean, I'm not saying you could get a talented actor. You could get the Marlon Brando of post-match fan uh, interview givers who is actually able to bring genuine emotion. But I feel that the age of innocence is, is gone. The job on the oh yeah, what's his name? Andy Tate. It's Andy Tate. Uh, I feel the age of innocence <laughs> is gone now. Everyone's just, you know, this. it's just this performative thing now and disappointing, disappointing. I mean, I, I still obviously watch these Oh, things. I was about to say, I, I, I still enjoy them, Ken, so I'm apologising in advance for continuing to bring them to the football show whenever I'm just waiting to see where emerge. I, I'm hoping that the genre... I feel it's hit a bit of a cul-de-sac now, and I just hope it's gonna. Uh, I hope I'm gonna see some evolution. Report on sport. So, I mean, we were talking about Liverpool there. On the amazing thing when you look at the table, they're only six points off the top. Having had like this terrible season, the managers got sacked. They're six points behind Manchester City. I mean, the title race is a bit like a, a watching um, all your uncles play Mario Kart against each other. Right, and you can imagine the you know the cars. There's a car just persistently driving into the side of the side of the track. There's cars going the wrong direction. A lot of them falling off the edge. No one has a clue what anything, any of the flashing lights and symbols yeah. mean. They go over this little shell. I think this is great. This will get me bonus points. No, no, no. That's, you're gonna crash. It's it. not good. I mean, Man City obviously got a mushroom on the. Uh, on the weekend there with Sergio Aguero scoring five goals in 20 minutes. It was unbelievable. I mean, I was trying to do some work on some other stuff and I just kept looking on the screen. Aguero had scored another goal. I thought this is crazy. Uh, I mean, he, I mean, just a week out, or a couple of weeks after Lewandowski does something very similar. This is getting more common, isn't it? I mean, yeah, a lot of people Ronaldo's seem to be scoring a lot of goals. Yeah. I mean, Berbatov, that was a couple of years ago in France. Messi, I can't remember doing it against, was it Leverkusen or... Didn't he do it against the Germans? Maybe Schalke, I can't remember. Anyway, Stuttgart, who cares? Yeah, he's definitely scored five goals in, in at least one game. 
Um, this seems to be a thing that that happens a lot. But you know, there was there was all this stuff happening. I mean, there was Dick Avocat shedding tears in the dugout uh, when Sunderland scored their second goal, and then resigning kind of the next day. He wouldn't say he was resigning immediately after the game, but then resigned almost immediately. Um, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on, and we can't even we don't even have time to talk about most of it because I, I suppose the biggest story is the Rogers story. I mean, I feel. Um, I feel with Rogers. I do feel a bit sorry for him. I don't know. People will be like, "Oh yeah, sure," because you know we kind of have spent a lot of the last couple of years, you know, laughing at, at some some of the things that Brandon Rogers has done. But in fairness, that's because they were funny. You know, you can't you can't deny that. Um, I feel that Rogers had kind of was he was looking more and more embattled, and it was like his whole career had turned into that dream where you go to school and realize that you're not wearing any pants. <laughs> You know, that kind of sense of, oh, no, you know, I, I'm that kind of underlying fear of exposure, mm. you know, that kind of, the kind of thing. Except in Roger's case, he ends up waking up and then he discovers actually all his teeth have fallen out. It's like, <laughs> it's just nightmare piled upon nightmare. Oh, I never had that one. No? The te- teeth one? I don't think so. Apparently the teeth one is quite a common one, yeah. You're just there, you walk around and then suddenly you f- realize your teeth are kind of crumbling. It's like, what's going on? What's going to happen to my teeth? yeah. Oh yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, have you? you know, I've I've had that before. I've had the exam one a lot. The exam one, yeah. Oh, I'm always doing like bloody exams and <laughs> having not studied for them apparently. It's terrible. Why? Why not? Why do you never get the message? Why not study? Why do you never dream where you sit in the exam and you've like done you all the work? The questions you want come up, you get a good mark, you walk out, you're happy enough. Um, That's what I want. Poor. I mean, so 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 it seems as though things are turning on on Rogers and lately there was a very defensive tone. I mean, that had been going on for a while, and he tried a lot of things. I mean, he tried too many things, I think, Rogers. I mean, he, he, he was flipping and flopping between systems, between kind of preferred players in the team. Um, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a bit in Ferguson's book, because I, I was writing about this last week in Irish Times, a bit in Ferguson's new book, I mean, which, again, isn't, isn't a great book by any means, but he's saying, one of the things that he says is you can't, you know, if you're, if you're in charge of a group of people, you can't run from one side of the ship to the other. You have to... You have to have some key principles that people know you have. You have to be seen to believe in something. If you're trying different things from week to week, you know, oh, let's do it this way, let's do it that way, like ch- making changes in the way you train or fundamental changes in the way you, you play, the way that Brendan Rodgers often did. No, I'm not talking about training, I'm talking about what he did in the field. I mean, oftentimes it was a, sometimes it was a back four, sometimes a back five, sometimes a back three. Sometimes it was two in the middle, sometimes three, sometimes four, sometimes five. Sometimes one up front, sometimes two, sometimes three. Okay, you, you know. I suppose you have an identity in that you, you're a kind of a, a team that changes or has the capacity to change. That's hopefully what he's trying to get get to. Yeah, flexibility, tactical flexibility. Flexibility, that's, that's, that's the idea, I suppose. But in reality, I think it leaves people feeling confused. I mean, look at Sterling, you know. Maybe it was just a, an excuse that Sterling's agent used. I mean, he was obviously going through looking for all the bad stuff he could throw at Brendan Rodgers, but... Sterling ends up playing as a wing back. Yeah. What's going on? You know, he's playing as a wing back against Man United. Was it against Man United? I think it yeah, was against Man United so. at Anfield. Uh, you know, a big game, and suddenly Raheem Sterling's playing as a wing back and feels like he's been made a show of. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Not everyone necessarily comes out and complains about it like Sterling's agent. Um, or did Sterling do it in the BBC interview? Anyway, it was it was a complaint that was made. Not everyone is going to complain, but people still think, "Oh, what's going on here?" You know, it's confusing. Mm. And I think with Rogers, it kind of 
it, it event, you eventually come to a point of, hang on, does he really know what he wants here? Does he really know what he wants? And I guess they decided ultimately... I mean, the, the biggest example of it was that match against Aston Villa, the semi-final of the FA Cup. Remember, they had this chance to kind of redeem the season with a trophy. Villa, poor side. Yeah. A bad a bad team. Tim Sherwood is their manager. They They were playing reasonably well under Sherwood. But, you know, Tim Sherwood is, does not have a reputation yet as being one of the big... Uh, tactical masterminds, you know, whereas Brendan Rodgers maybe would have considered himself to be a bit tactically clever, you know? And Tim Sherwood completely did him up like a kipper, you know? And Rodgers was changing, he changed formation, you know, several times in the same game. Just nothing worked. I think that those kinds of things are really damaging. I've heard that game and his changing systems within the game held up in that in that light already, but it's funny because you, you remember Jonathan, Jonathan Walters was asked about playing different systems a while back when he was with Ireland and he was saying, or, you know, him playing up front or playing wide right, he's like, ah, look, I think it was Walters anyway. Look at Stoke, we played four or five systems within a game. We're constantly changing around. It's just, there's a lot more flexibility than people seem to realise, you Mm -hmm. know? So I don't know, um, I guess the result went against him that day, which is probably the the big issue. Um, The idea of trying to make a team more flexible is in itself not necessarily the wrong way to go about things. I agree. It's not, although, you know, the, I mean, I think, I think that was a, that was a bad, that was a bad day for Rodgers just because you try so many things and they all fail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of like, yeah. I, don't want to I mean, the, the players, the players didn't, didn't play well on the day, you know, there was a lot of, the, he would, I'm sure, if he were sitting here now, Owen, listening to this, uh, might point out that there was a bad offside decision given against Liverpool that day as well. That's the kind of thing that sticks in managers' minds. Oh, you know, you're all t- talking about how terrible I am now, but you know, if that Balotelli goal had stood, then you know, we'd be having a different conversation. And mm. um, we'd, we'd be having a conversation about how terrible a day it was when Arsenal beat Liverpool five nil in the in the FA Cup final at Wembley, probably given the way the teams finished the season. Um, but look, um, Brendan Rodgers now. We'll see what he does. We're going to talk about uh, him with Simon Hughes and Dion Fanning later. The Interesting thing about this is that Liverpool seem to have a really heavyweight manager about to come in. Club. This seems to be the uh, the kind of general consensus. Uh, I mean, there's, there was this report in Bosnia that Klopp's assistant says he's going to be going to Liverpool. He's a Bosnian. Uh, maybe he's said something a little out of turn there. If they can get Jurgen Klopp, I think you're talking about a definite upgrade. Okay, you know, I mean, Brendan Rodgers is, is is still has six years before he's as old as Jurgen Klopp, and maybe he will get maybe he'll get there at some point. But with Klopp, you're talking about a guy with genuine stature in the European game, a guy who won two consecutive league titles with Borussia Dortmund, with a team largely of uh, you know of, of cheaply signed players and youth academy players. Uh, got them playing a kind of a style of football all of their own. Got them to the Champions League final. Ultimately, uh, things after seven years at Dortmund, he he left. Uh, things had gone bad in the in the last season. Uh, the best players of Dortmund kept joining Bayern. I mean, look at the game on the weekend. Bayern five, Borussia Dortmund one. And look at the goal scores. I mean, Lewandowski scores two. Götze scores one for Bayern. Mm. These are the guys they've taken from Dortmund. Put them on the other team and. I don't think the game... So you're cutting Klopp slack for that last season? Well, I, I mean, I think overall his career at Borussia Dortmund is a brilliant success. Yeah. No, uh, is a brilliant success. Now, it ends. It ended badly. And I mean, it's not as though Jurgen Klopp is a perfect guy. I mean, Jurgen Klopp has definite egomaniac tendencies. Make no mistake. 
He definitely does. And I mean, people used to laugh at Brendan Rodgers for his, his, you know, his nice teeth that he got done and all that kind of stuff. You know, Klopp is, Klopp is not immune to a bit of cosmetic surgery. He's not averse uh, to a little bit of that himself. Uh, I, I don't know if people are going to make an issue that he's got it out of the way early. Well, I always, I've always got the, the impression that the English media love him. They do. He's a bit of a character. He's a little different. They, all they, these things. They love him. And, and, and obviously they're in love with the... With the, the the impression they have of him isn't really him. You know what I mean? They're in love with a certain version of Jurgen Klopp. Uh, they don't have to deal with him on a weekly basis. They don't have to deal with his ratty little moods when he thinks things aren't going his way. They just have to deal with this dazzling smile, this big big guy who bounces in. Hey, yeah, you know, we all, we're overperforming in Europe again. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I have seen Klopp a couple of times doing press conferences. I've been to a few, a couple of Dortmund games when he was the manager. One of them was the German Cup final. Um, the pre and post match conferences. He's up there with Guardiola, you know. He he seems totally at home in that kind of company. It wasn't like he was in any way. Well, here's the great Guardiola, you know. They put them up together. They put them up together at both. No, before the match, they put them up together. Two managers and two captains in a joint press conference. After the match, there's a. I think they come in separately after the match. Yeah. But, you know, he was uh, he, he was totally running the show that day. Guardiola wasn't really saying much. Klopp was like, oh, you know, he's the funniest man in Germany. <laughs> literally, the, literally Germany's funniest man. Everyone was just, it was side-splitting uh, press conference that he was that he was giving. But, you know, he's he, he's good that way. He kind of, I think he can, his, he's very verbal, so I don't know if his, his English clearly isn't as good as his German. I think he'd probably be able to replicate a bit of it. I don't know. I mean, I think, I think the big thing for Liverpool, actually, if they do, get your as a manager is the doors that it opens to them in terms of signing players. I mean, for instance, Henrik Mkhitaryan, the Armenian player at Dortmund, is there. Liverpool tried to sign him. Dortmund offered him less money. He went to Dortmund because he wanted to work with Jurgen Klopp. Brendan Rodgers, if you remember, according to what is in hindsight increasingly damaging revelation Stephen Gerrard made in his autobiography, was asking Stephen Gerrard to text people like Alexis Sanchez, Tony Kroos, uh, you know, William saying, fancy you coming to Liverpool to play with me? You know, I don't think Jurgen Klopp is going to... He, he's the kind of a guy who has a big standing across Europe, particularly... In, he'll, be, he'll be a bigger name than anyone at the club, uh, any any player. Which is maybe something Liverpool could do with. I mean, that hasn't been the case for a while. Uh, you know, uh, they've, always, they've always... They've had star players who have been kind of almost above the manager for certainly since Rafael Benitez left. Um... So it's, a, it's an interesting situation. We don't know yet if, if Klopp is going to... Well, Ancelotti is the other one being mentioned. Ancelotti. I mean, Jimmy Carragher said, for instance, Ancelotti, I think the rule fans will be ecstatic about Ancelotti. I don't. I think Ancelotti is a good manager if you've got a good team. But, you, but the rule don't have a good team. They have a, a squad which, which is just... There's a team in there somewhere, but no one's managed to work out what it is yet. Ancelotti is a guy who's really good at coming in, getting on with everyone, getting people, getting along with each other. The players have to be good, though. He's not a particularly... I don't think he's a really driven guy. Like, I mean, he it, it's that might, that, that's probably a ridiculous thing to say about someone who's won three Champions Leagues. That's just as a manager. He's won also, I think, two as a, as a player and lost the final to Liverpool, actually, uh, when he was at Roma. I, I can't remember if he... Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he left Roma at that stage. I, who cares? Uh, the point is, uh, I, think he's a, I think he's a good manager with a good, within a good setup. Like at Real Madrid, he was the perfect manager for them. He really was. Because you've got all these kind of 
you've got the president who's kind of an ego on one side. You've got Ronaldo who's, you know, you've got a few kind of slightly crazy people in there. And he was just able to sort of bring them all together, calm everyone down, get them playing really well. You know, he got he shouldn't have been sacked by Real Madrid. Coming into Liverpool, I'm not really sure. The club I look yeah. at now that seems maybe would benefit from a bit of Carlo Ancelotti is actually uh, Chelsea Football Club. <laughs> the um, Mourinho effect is, uh, is wearing thin at this stage. His, or his, taking hold. Yeah. I mean... His interview was unbelievable. Were you, were you watching it? On Sky, yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't watch it live, but I saw it referred to and, and watched it back, yeah. What did you think of it? Well, it was incredible in that... I, I saw a seven-minute monologue or something. I thought, oh, yeah, well, I mean, I presume that this, that's an exaggeration. And then I was like, wait a second. That's Literally, there's no, there are no questions in here. It's like, I'm going to anticipate all your questions. I'm going to ask them of myself. And then I'm going to answer them all. I, 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 I like the tone of defiance, uh, albeit he did seem to be walking himself into a lot of bother there as well. He really did. Yeah, he was the one talking about... He was the one raising... It's kind of a strange one to raise... I know you were writing about this today, but to actually raise the idea that you could be sacked yourself yeah. every manager nearly in world football goes the opposite way and tries to ignore it even if it is there even if it is being talked about absolutely yeah. I mean was it, I remember Mick McCarthy say um, Mick McCarthy when he was the Ireland manager I remember that press conference uh, after Switzerland Ireland lost Switzerland they're you know a, a disastrous start to the Euro qualifying campaign they've lost two games in a row the whole crowd is going absolutely nuts screaming for Roy Keane booing the team uh, you know shouting abuse at Mick McCarthy it's pretty obvious what's going to happen right mm. pretty obvious what the situation is here and yet I remember everyone sitting there for like 15 minutes before anyone dared to sort of mention this issue of maybe it was Darren Ennis I remember eventually said um, I think he might have said this no one else is going to say ask this question maybe I should ask if maybe you know, you might be thinking about resigning. Resign? You know, why would I do that? Says Mick McCarthy. And Darren Ennis sort of said, well, the crowd kind of turned on the team tonight, Mick. And, and Mick McCarthy's like, well, yeah, they, they did. But it was like, no one wanted to mention it. You know, no one wanted to go there. And certainly Mick McCarthy wasn't going to be the first to do it. Because once you say it, everyone just starts talking about it. You know what I mean? And Joseph Mourinho knows that. So why is he saying it? Why would he do that? Well, if... I don't know if he's heard something behind the scenes. If he if he hears, hears that there is a push against him, maybe I still don't. I, don't, I actually still don't see the benefit of him putting it out there. No, publicly. Wait for it to be raised. Maybe it won't be. You literally won the league five months ago, five, six months ago. You won. The, you won the title. This reporter may not ask you. Do you think you're going to be sacked? He may not. He may not do that. And if he doesn't, great. You know, there's an international break coming up. Maybe you can sort things out. But I remember after the last international break, wasn't it Everton they were playing after it? And, and and Mourinho come, arriving for that game, he's you know all stubble and all this kind of stuff, looking really tired, uh, going, and and them asking before the game, oh so Jose, how long have you had to work? One day, I've just had one day, one day to work with the team, you know, almost in advance, saying this is you know this is ridiculous, what I have to work with. Um, he he had a real go at Nemanja Matic as well. I mean, he he took Nemanja Matic off. He, he took Nemanja Matic off 28 minutes after he came on at halftime. So substituting the substitute 28 minutes. I mean, you substitute, you come on as a sub and you're substituted for any reason other than you've, you know, your leg is hanging off. That is a total humiliation. Matic was pale. You know what I mean? He's always been running around. He was actually pale when, when you could see him sitting there. It was like, this is just unbelievable. There was obviously no 
handshake or anything like that. There was no, well done, Nemanja. It's just I need something a little different for these last 12 minutes. You know what I mean? Uh, and then, he, you know, what does he say afterwards? He says, well, uh, Matic is not playing well. He's not defensively sharp. He's making a lot of mistakes. Not good decisions with the ball. Um, I put him on because Ramirez was on a booking and I was worried that he might you know, get a second booking. Uh, I took him off because uh, I wanted to leave Oscar on. He's creative. And I wanted to leave Fabregas on because he's better at performing in these pressure situations. He did come up at Barcelona, after all, and he learned how to perform under pressure. I was like, there's so much going on here. Jesus. But, the, but obviously the person who's stung most here is Matic, who's having his manager now talk about how badly he's playing. He's played badly himself. He Probably he thinks he's played badly. He's been substituted. He's been humiliated. And now the manager is telling everyone how badly he played and how he how badly he compares in certain areas of the game to certain teammates. Well, not certain, as creative as Oscar, not as... Yeah, certain key areas. I mean, clearly he's not as creative as Oscar. Right? That's almost, you don't need somebody to tell you that. But for him to essentially say he's mentally weak, that's what I'm reading there. Mentally weaker... Compared to... Than another player. That's unbelievable. It is. Usually there's a little bit of... When Mourinho goes on these... When he criticizes his players in public, he doesn't usually name names. I mean, he does, as in, you know he's talking about Fernando Torres, yeah. but he stops just short of saying the words Fernando Torres, for yeah. example. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this is so clearly about Maddich. Uh, well, I mean, he's, well, yeah, he's, sorry, he's, 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 he said Maddich. Yeah. He's, he's, he's actually talking about named, player, He named yeah. Maddich. And that, it's I mean, again, I don't want to keep quoting Alex Ferguson's book like it was the Bible, you know, but he, again, is talking about this, don't criticize your players. You don't actually need to do it. If a player has played badly, he's the one who knows about it. And then if you really feel that he Didn't try. hasn't noticed it enough, right. then that's when you drag him in and, and uh, you know, give him a, a <laughs> thrashing. But you don't do it to to everybody. You don't do it in public because then you're embarrassing him. You're kind of humiliating him. How is he supposed to kind of come back from that? You know, how, how are you supposed to then have a relationship of respect that, that works after that? Don't do it. It's dangerous to do that. Mourinho's just doing it willy-nilly. He doesn't care anymore. Okay, so your theory is that Mourinho might... Be, might just want out of there. Well, look, uh, I think I think Mourinho is hopeless at the problem that he has in his in his career is that he's hopeless at resolving any kind of conflict in a constructive way. Look at his look, look at Kevin De Bruyne the other day, right? He scores a great goal for Man City, sets up a goal, sets up two goals. He's had a great impact. He's he's the player Chelsea could sorely do with. They had him, they sold him. Why? Because apparently he wanted to be in the team all the time. And Mourinho was unable to find a way to sit Kevin De Bruyne down and say, listen, Kevin, you're a great player. You're, like, really young. Can't play at this level yet every week. But, you know, work with us here and we'll, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make this happen because you're a great player. I believe in you and so on. No, he just says, OK, go. See you. Out the door. Lukaku. Lukaku scored a couple of goals uh, the other week. He scored again against Liverpool on the weekend. Does he look like a player Chelsea could use? Yes, I would say so. Mata, look what Mata is doing for Manchester United this season. Does he look like he might be useful to Chelsea? Yeah, I think in so. Mourinho's defence, you, you actually couldn't keep all those guys and the ones you already you already have there and keep them all happy. You do have to actually sell some players if you want to bring anyone in. It's it's a difficult thing to do to keep to keep people in a big squad happy. But I think too often Mourinho kind of once a little conflict arises, it's like oh well you know what you can't come in here and talk to me like that. Okay, well get out of the club then. I think I, that that happens too much, and now he's up to the squad, which isn't as good as it could have been. I mean, 
Did you see? There was something nice. I only saw it for the first time over the weekend, actually. A friend of mine mentioned it to me, and I was like, what's that? I hadn't heard about that. I think it was when we were in America. Remember we went over to San Francisco? Mm -hmm. So Chelsea had their Player of the Year awards. And, uh, like, the Player of the Year awards, you know the kind of thing football clubs do. It's a really glitzy operation now, you know? Mourinho on the stage, microphone in hand. He's got a screen with some visuals, you know? And he's doing a speech. The player awards, you know, it's lighthearted enough. We also knew Van Hals yeah. where he started. He got drunk and started shouting, he's clipping Ryan Giggs around the ear, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, he smacked <laughs> Ryan Giggs in the head, you know, like in a you know, Giggs is just kind of grimacing. But Mourinho's there, anyone on stage, oh, you know, and he's like, he's he's going through this comedy routine, which is just so leaden. You're thinking, stop. Jose, stop. But he's got all these like visual, like these slides that he's shown on the oh. screen. So basically what his gag is that he's like, well, you know, we had a team. Uh, we had a team that rode to the international board. And, and on the screen, there flashes up an image of like, like a graphical, you know, say they're showing the formation the team is out in before a game. You know, a team like in a 4-4-2 diamond formation. Just little little red shirts, okay? We know who this team is. Little red Red and black shirts with a bit of black trim, right? There was a team, and they're on this kind of graphical pitch, you know? And uh, uh, there was a team that wrote the international board and said, could we take away the goalposts? Could we take away the goalposts from the pitch? They wanted to play football where they just passed the ball around each other. So you see this little, you know, graphic football just pinging around between all these little players on the field. But, like, there's no goals. on the, the, the goals have disappeared from the pitch. And they have great possession. They pass it all the time. And, and and they said, why can't we play the game that way? And the international board said, no. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay, so that's Man United told, right? <laughs> that's Man United told, Louis van Gaal with his possession obsession. Then, then there was another team. There was another team who wanted to play with only one set of goalposts, the opponent's goalposts. They didn't want their own goalposts to be there. And this team comes up with, in light blue shirts, right? So you see the ball pinging around between their players and then, getting fired into the opponent's goal. But the international board said, no, you know, that's not. And everyone, you're watching this thinking, is he serious? Is he seriously doing this? Then there was another team. And you're thinking, not another team. Jesus. Uh, another team. It's going to be awesome. Red, and, red shirts, yeah. white, white sleeves. And they said, okay, okay, we will play with, uh, we will play with two sets of goalposts. But we do not want to play between August and December. Oh, and everyone's like, oh, Arsenal started the season really badly, finished well, but you know, I do you've got to do it. Sense, oh my God. And then there was another team, and the blue shirts come up, and you know, you hear the lads. <laughs> there was another team who said, we, we will, uh, to, the way to win is to score one more goal than the opponent. And he's, uh, so he's kind of using this lighthearted end of season gags parade as like this. Weird justification of his philosophy, like a, a, a really weird, unfunny, defensive kind of uh, statement of his beliefs. And you're like, Jesus Christ, just sit down, put the microphone down, and sit down. I, I kind of feel okay. That's not in itself a significant incident, but I feel it's kind of the sort of thing that he's doing. That the magic is gone. You know mm. what I mean? The old Jose Mourinho, this charismatic genius. Let's say genius. That's how he was perceived at the time by his. Chelsea players by a lot of the people. This is a, this is a different. This is a slightly embarrassing version of Jose Mourinho, and I feel the players, rather than seeing him now as someone to follow and 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 to be really, you know, persuaded by about everything, are now kind of like 
shying away from him a little bit. It happened at Real Madrid and it seems to be happening again. Do you want to talk a bit about Arsenal here or we save it all for a chat with Miguel later? Yeah, I think let's save it. I mean, it's, right. it seems unfair because it was so such a brilliant performance by Arsenal, but we do have Miguel on this subject, so uh, let's... Uh, let's wrap up this report on sport. It, yeah. See if you don't get us out with mother of you're away, mate. Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big teddy boots here in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, I take no beat, I take no, I take no, I take no beat. Just so it's soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me. I can't yell me, I can't yell me. I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans. Just need to fucking work on it. You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip! Alright, I'm Fanning and Simon Hughes, author of Men in White Suits, uh, the book about Liverpool in the 90s. Join us to chat about Brendan Rodgers and the end of his time at the club, lads. It's uh, maybe not too shocking, but I'm always interested in the mechanics or the mechanism behind uh, the, this news and how it's actually broken to the man at the centre of it. My, um, I, I guess with regards to Rodgers, it seemed, judging by some of the things he was saying afterwards, Simon, it seemed like maybe he knew before the game that this was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's he's been preparing himself for this for a couple of weeks, really. Um, I was there before the at Melbourne before the Villa game um, a week last Saturday uh, on the Friday, and the way he started talking then was was very much you know kind of thinking about the future, trying to almost come to terms with the fact that one day he might not be Liverpool's manager, and he'd never ever spoken like that before. Um, I get the impression that yeah he probably could see it coming, but even even yesterday, I was watching him closely during the press conference at the Everton game, and um, he he didn't sound or have the manner of somebody who's just about to be sacked. I don't think he thought it was going to be as brutal as it was. You know, within an hour of the game finishing at Melwood on a telephone conversation with Mike Gordon, I, I don't think he thought it was going to be like that. But yeah, I, I get the impression that maybe perhaps he's looked at you know the way other Liverpool managers have left in the past where. Where you know it's it's not always been the most dignified manner, whether it was Gerard Hulia or or Rafa Benitez or whoever. Um, perhaps I got the impression he was trying to get his excuses in quickly because mm. even yesterday, a lot of the conversation post match was was geared towards the match, and then suddenly it was quite an, an innocent question, really, presented by one journalist about how you know he felt that that Liverpool. Team at least the very least you know were fighting for him, um, and he he suddenly went into you know quite a long a long answer about you know how he feels that the certain things that uh, you know whoever would be the manager in the future would, would have to face like him, and it seemed like he was getting his excuses in a little bit, um, and perhaps the answer being rehearsed a little bit. So so yeah, um, it was still quite shocking though I think. Dion, I, I don't know how, how shocked you were by it. I mean, we had, I think a lot of people had, had heard rumours. I mean, for instance, the Bosnian press led the way on this one uh, with a report that uh, Jurgen Klopp's Bosnian assistant was all set to take a, uh, sign a three-year contract with Liverpool. So I'm sure Brendan Rodgers had sort of heard had heard that and maybe there was a certain sense of um, foreboding as, as he prepared uh, for that Everton match. I mean, will he, are you going to miss him now that he's gone? Um, well, I think uh, I think the thing the, the thing about this weekend was that you know you 
hear these rumors a lot and they go around and a lot of the time they turn out to have uh, no foundation. So for it to actually happen on the day of a derby when they, when they hadn't, there was a few stories saying if he lost, he was out. Um, uh, I think, I don't know if I, if, uh, um, I don't think Brendan Rodgers will be, be away for too long. So maybe we, we, uh, we, we, we won't, we won't have to miss him for too long because he does have a lot of support, uh, influential support that says he, he deserves, you know, that, that he's been harshly treated and that he, uh, maybe he's, he's right for the England job or something like that. So you, you, you never know where he, where he'll, uh, spring up next but i imagine he he will 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 show up somewhere so uh i don't think we need to you know miss him too for too long yeah i mean liverpool i say that the search for a new manager is underway it looks at the moment as though it's going to be jürgen klopp i was wondering simon though if you think the change of manager is is ultimately going to have much effect i mean do you think this this is the kind of thing that can jolt a bit of life back into what seems like a moribund project at liverpool uh, I mean, the, pro- the problems, everybody, I think, knows the problems are a bit bigger than the manager, but can a new manager have a significant positive impact? Well, I think the Liverpool job, it is probably the most difficult job in European football, really. Um, I don't say that lightly either because, you know, the history of the club not winning anything for, or not winning the league for, for 25 years means that every year, I don't think there's an expectation to win the league, but there's certainly an ambition to win the league. And the reality is, you know, especially with the way the club is run in terms of the structure of how they make signings, um, you know, the fact that Liverpool, the last two summers, have sold their best players um, and replaced them with players on a different, completely different level of standing. You know, selling world-class players and then signing players with potential. So to expect instant results off the back of that, I think, is quite unreasonable and short-sighted because it, it, it's not going to happen quite simply. Um, so, you know, Brendan was alluding to that, as I said yesterday, about how any manager walking into that would, would probably find it quite difficult. But but having said that, I think the, you know, the Liverpool manager's job is there for somebody to, to grab the club by the bootstraps. I mean, I don't think any football clubs ran particularly brilliantly. You know, there's chaotic, chaotic football clubs everywhere. You know, Manchester United hear about the part problems. I'm sure when Arsene Wenger leaves Arsenal, suddenly all manner of problems will will appear in the press about Arsenal and what's going on there. You know, um, Chelsea, you know, you obviously only have to look at what's going on there at the moment as well. So I don't think there are many clubs that are run fantastically. I've got to be honest, there's a lot of self-preservation that goes on behind the scenes of football clubs. Um, And, you know, it's going to take a Liverpool manager, I think, to rise above all the mess below, really. Um, You know, it's going to take somebody who can, you know, can, can focus constantly on what they're doing and not lose their identity to a certain extent. Like, I think Brendan, you know, alluded to that quite a lot in his interviews in the last couple of months that he you know maybe he had lost his, his way a little bit in in the way he wanted to operate it that that clear vision that he had at the beginning had been muddied a little bit and I think if you're going to be Liverpool manager whoever it is 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 going to have to do things their own way you know they're, they're probably going to keep the trans the, the dreaded transfer committee which you know it, it's just it's such a draconian sounding you know name I don't understand why they have to put the name on a transfer committee why can't it just be the scouting department which you know therefore takes away any focus um so unless they appoint somebody I think who you know I I, I think that there is a, an opportunity to be successful at Liverpool but the way the club is set up at the moment it's going to take an extraordinary individual to make sure that that success is 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 enduring rather than brief Dion there's no doubt that um as Simon says there, the Brendan Rodgers' 
vision there seemed to be a clarity to it at the start and that certainly got muddied as it went along but I suppose we're at the stage now just after he's been sacked where even the people who were looking for him to go might start saying some nice things about him and look back at the positive parts of his reign there and 2013-2014 that title run I've never fully I've always thought it's been slightly unfair to say oh well of course he made that run they had Luis Suarez in the team I mean every good team the challenges for a title obviously has to have a brilliant standout player and that's what Suarez was doing at that time how much credit at this stage what sort of a, a legacy does Rodgers leave in terms of that one season uh, in the recent history of Liverpool? Well, I, I, because it was such a magical kind of charge for the title, I think that's, that is always going to uh, stand to him among, among Liverpool supporters. Um, I don't think Suarez's contribution can be, you know, I, I think it was so immense what, what Suarez did that season uh, it, it, you know, he 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 lifted everybody ar- around him. You know, you, you have to if you look at if you look at Stephen Gerrard's book and you see the kind of the, the the way Suarez was, the way he trained, his attitude to everything, the fact that he was never injured, all these kind of things. He was he wasn't just one exceptional player uh, at the peak of his powers. He was he was somebody who lifted everybody around him. What I think Rodgers did brilliantly that season was he 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 played to the strengths of that. He he. Uh, he got, play, you know, he he moved the team around. He put Sterling, Sturridge, uh, were you know were, were part of that, that attacking triumvirate that really tore teams apart, and 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 he rode that wave brilliantly. I think Rogers' problems were was or his problem is that when the problems arise, he's not sure how to deal with them. Like he made a big play of how he had dealt with them last season, but then they weren't really dealt with at all. And uh, when when Liverpool didn't have that attacking momentum. His inability to kind of solve other problems, and you know, again, still be talking. Uh, you know, we sort of started to- this season. He was now talking about defensive mistakes, as if this is just one of these things in life that you've got to shrug your shoulders and, and put up with. And maybe that would that would be fine if they were winning games the way they won in, in thirteen fourteen. But uh, without Suarez, without you know, without Sterling, uh, that wasn't going to happen. So he needed to do something else. And I think this was the problem with Rodgers. He was great when he came in because he talked about a project. And I think the problem was that as, as it kept going on, people really wanted less of a project and more of, a, of, a, of a, a functioning team, a winning team. And there was always a suspicion that when he talked about the project, he was delaying the moment at which he would say, OK, where's the winning team? And that was the thing that, you know, you, the, the famous quote of his when, they, when he was at Swansea and they beat Sunderland, or they, they lost in Sunderland. And the quote was, you know, this is everyone up in the, in the northeast was you know, looking forward to seeing our team and we put on a great show for them today. And, you know, they'd lost 2-0, I think. So he was always capable of, of talking about something uh, that wasn't the result. Uh, and unfortunately, after a, after some t- after a few years in the job, people want results more than anything. Just briefly, guys, to both of you, Dion first, um, if you were Brendan Rodgers' agent, what would you be advising him? Um, what, what next move would you be uh, advocating to him? I think going abroad would be a very good uh, uh, decision for him to go to Spain or somewhere and get a job there. Yeah, I'd, I'd go along with that as well. I think, um, you know, I think Brendan has still got an incredibly bright future in the game. Um, I think ultimately... You know, the Liverpool job isn't for somebody with, you know, an inexperienced manager, really, which fundamentally he, he was, um, you know, to deal with all the, the, the politics that go on behind the scenes. I think you need to have a certain amount of experience. Um, there were certain things that he dealt fantastically with, you know, looking back again to what Dion's 
point was then about uh, you know in the the, the 2013-14 season when you know he navigated that that the choppy waters when when Suarez was banned he dealt with that well at the time I think um, and I think by going abroad you know working under a different structure <laughs> which would inevitably exist at a foreign club would benefit him well um, I'm sure you know he could prove to be a very successful manager one day providing he learns from his mistakes. All right, Simon Hughes, the unfounding brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers. It's funny now, when, whoever is going to come in for Rogers Ken at this stage, um, you know, Liverpool have this, possibly more than any other club in the world, have this obsession with the manager. Mm. It says, you've touched on it a little bit there, they immediately become these messiahs and already it's happening with Klopp now, you can kind of get the sense that people are getting super excited. It's almost like the opposite issue to what Real Madrid have, which mm. is probably not enough respect for a manager, but it does, it does create quite, quite a lot of pressure. Now, you would say that if it's somebody of Klopp standing, yeah, or Jose Mourinho, I'm, talk, I'm trying to think of the, the real big egos of of football who've actually achieved quite a lot and have more experience than Brendan Rodgers had starting off. Maybe someone like Klopp will be able to handle that side of it. I think um, I think it's very difficult to handle. Really, I really do because it's the just the gap between what people want you to do. But I, mean, I don't think Liverpool fans think they're going to win the league in the next couple of years, do they? No. So, I wouldn't say so. So if you're just on a Champions League qualification, Why not? you're hardly asking the world from your manager there. Yeah. You're asking the team with, well, people have quoted this reason, maybe the fifth biggest uh, salary, fifth, fifth biggest pay, payroll and salaries to come fourth, you know, to finish one spot above, yeah. which a great manager you would think should be able to achieve. Yeah, and, and I mean, I... I I think that Liverpool should really be looking probably more at the Champions League than the Premier League in terms of what's our aim. Oh, once you're in there, you mean to actually make an impact in it? Well, if they're, the Champions League is a competition that is winnable, mm. by whereas the Premier League isn't necessarily. I mean, by the, the, I'm not saying the Premier League isn't winnable. They nearly won it like a couple of years ago. But it's difficult to win the Premier League. There are there are big, strong teams in there over the course of a 38-game season. Whereas in the Champions League, if you play well, I mean, look, Liverpool are the perfect example of what is possible in there. Maybe you could say the Champions League has lately just become about Real Madrid, Barcelona and Bayern, who, who are stronger than everybody else. But it's not that's not going to last forever either. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I think it's very, I think it's very difficult. I and mean, it's interesting that Klopp would even be interested in this job because... It looks like there are other jobs. Although I should mention, Owen, since yep. we were talking earlier, not um, not the Chelsea job. Uh, Chelsea have issued a vote of confidence to Jose Mourinho since we've been talking about this. Go on. Club believes in manager and squad. The club wants to make it clear that Jose continues to have our full support. As Jose has said himself, results have not been good enough and the team's performances must improve. However, we believe that we have the right manager to turn this season around and that he has the squad with which to do it. <laughs> That's a little pointed, isn't it? Yeah, I think the, I think the last one is definitely uh, making a little point there. Yeah, I think you've, you've actually got the players, Jose. It's your responsibility to figure out how to, what to do. Is, so, this, is this just a PR battle before he ultimately gets the bullet? Is this what's happening here? They're both setting out that they're, different, they're drawing their battle lines. I find it hard to see this being amicably yes. resolved. I think Mourinho's too. You know, his, it's just when he gets into conflicts, it usually ends with one or the other party being totally defeated. And in this case, he's maybe taken on the wrong, 
the wrong people. There's an imbalance of power in this particular conflict. Miguel Delaney watched Arsenal thump Manchester United. Miguel, finally the performance that Arsenal have been waiting for for quite a long time. Now, there's always a danger with Arsenal. They could back this up with a, a couple of poor results, but we should probably be happy for them for the time being. If you were an Arsenal fan, you'd be pretty pleased with, with that yesterday. Yeah, I suppose it was kind of the performance we've been waiting for for so long. I mean, it wasn't just about the kind of the pace and the moves they put together, but the aggression they showed as well. I mean, like I think that was never better symbolised than Walcott, of all people, crashing into Bastian Schweinsteiger, of all people, in the middle of the pitch. I mean, he got a booking for it, but <laughs> this is the sort of thing we've precisely criticised Arsenal for lacking in the past. And it did give a sense of a kind of a team angered into a response and really playing for their manager after everything that happened in the in the last week. Uh, the, the one thing about it, I suppose, is, I mean, even before the game was flagged up, that Arsenal have this kind of self-correcting mechanism that, you know, any time before uh, a bad run becomes a full-blown crisis, they win. And any time they're, they're on the brink of something better, mm. they lose. So this was kind of a, 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 along those lines. So it's, it's a pressure they have dealt with before. But I suppose we haven't quite seen a response as emphatic as this, uh, which which is encouraging. I saw Louis van Gaal before the game. There was quite a funny moment when you know these pointless post post or pre match yeah. interviews, which are just like what? Well, hello Louis, how are you? Uh, literally, the I think it was Jeff Shreve said, "Well, Louis, general thoughts." <laughs> and uh, and van Hal Jeff just, was just like, "I couldn't be bothered today. I just really couldn't be bothered." Van Hal just looked at him. You know that kind of like slightly kind of angle of the right there. Looked at him. He's like. General thought, like it was just withering sarcasm. Okay, I'll I'll say, and he, and he kind of went, yeah, blah blah. You know, didn't didn't really say much, but you know, he was obviously he was like, well, that was a stupid question. He made it clear how how dumb he thought that question was. Yeah, but was there a little bit of a rabbit in the headlights about Louis Van Gaal himself uh, during the game? I mean, for the start, for a start, the team selection looked questionable in hindsight, and uh, during the game itself, he kind of seemed to just sit there, not doing anything. Well, that's exactly, that's what was kind of so amazing about the match itself. I mean, if you look at the recent history of this fixture, it's been absolutely defined by United knowing exactly what to do to beat Arsenal. And I mean, it's, we've even, we got to the point where in his last autobiography, Alex Ferguson actually devotes two paragraphs to outlining, this is the problem with Wenger now, this is how you beat him. And despite that, Van Gaal completely deviated from that. It inverted the entire history of the fixture because instead of United picking out Arsenal's flaws and playing on them, Arsenal picked out United's. Like Wenger seemed to have spotted that the way to beat this team, let let them play their slow passes out from the back, immediately go for them, and then just cut through with all the space left behind. And that, that's what Arsenal did in the first few minutes. Uh, so it, it was it was bizarre from that perspective, and yet not bizarre because I mean I was thinking during the game, you, you could imagine David Moyes for all his flaws, he would have had a chat with Ferguson before the match to, to tackle Wenger, given how many times he did it, and Moyes actually did that when the, you know I beat them one 0 in October. At 2013, but Van Gaal, nah, can't really see him canvassing anyone else's opinion. Yeah. But after the game, there was a kind of a similar bizarre scene in the press conference in which Van Gaal had spent about five minutes lamenting his um, his midfield makeup, the lack of aggression, and how he, even though he wanted uh, Schweinsteiger and Carrick in there, you know, because of their positioning and their passing, he acknowledged that there was that lack of intensity. So the obvious follow up question to this was well, why didn't you change your midfield and why didn't you have Schneider? And given of all your three defensive midfielders in a game like that, usually it should be one of them, one of Schweinsteiger and Carrick who can pass and position themselves well. And then 
the greater energy of Schneiderlin. Mm. <laughs> but you know, same, same sort of thing. He thought he, he thought the question was idiotic. Yeah. Uh, you know, why would you ask a question like that? I actually uh, just this week I've been reading the, the Hugo Boris book on Run and Gallon. Yeah. One line that stood out in it so far is that uh, if the, nothing brings out the best in Louis Van Gaal, like setting someone straight. Yeah. No, he's a he's a born teacher. He loves to correct uh, people's mistakes. Um, but I mean, I wonder what you think of this in the kind of bigger picture now. I mean, I was looking at the the league. Uh, Manchester United are, are well positioned. Arsenal now second after that great win because they they managed to eat up Man United's goal difference. Man City just ahead. So it looks as though the title race is going to be between these three teams. Mm. But looking at uh, what they've done so far uh, in the matches, you can see a very pronounced difference between two of these teams and, and one of the others. If you look at Arsenal and Man City, they're both taking about 20 shots a game. Yeah. And Manchester United are taking half that. If you look at the, the um, shots on target per game, Arsenal have the most shots per game. Shots on target, Man City have slightly more. I guess that's the difference between Sergio Aguero and Theo Walcott. Mm -hmm. But in both instances, they're getting twice as many shots on target per game as Manchester United. And while allowing the same, allowing the same number of shots on their own goal. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm looking at that pattern, that pattern's repeated over the season, it's going to be one of Arsenal and Man City that wins the league. Yeah, and you'd, you'd probably say, see, I, I was thinking about this myself in the last few weeks, but because of the way results went, almost wavering and what it actually meant, I think City and Arsenal are kind of similar in that, to a degree, both are kind of momentum teams, and when they're on it, when, when there's a bit of kind of form to them, they can look sensational. But that confidence can be disrupted. I and mean, we've already seen it with both of them this season. But it mean, I think it means that their highest level is better than United's highest level under Van Gaal. But it's a weird thing. Like, I mean, what you're saying there, it kind of cuts to what he said after the Liverpool game when you know the first half had been dreadful. United, United had loads of control, but their only chance had been a, Marin Fellaini, a bad Marin Fellaini lob from a Mignolet mistake. Then in the second half, there was actually a bit of spark about them. They started playing. They started creating chances. They started scoring goals, and Van Gaal preferred the first half. Yeah. And you do wonder, this, this emphasis he has, this like a dogmatic emphasis on control, it will give United a stability and a consistency that will get a certain run of results, but you wonder whether it will bring too many draws, because it's almost like, and he, again, you can see it in yesterday's game, he's too wedded to his ideal to, to adapt to circumstances when, it, when it, circumstances might allow a win rather than the way his system does. So you'd imagine that could kind of bring them 75 points, but not enough. And I was thinking that that might, that, that probably won't bring them up to the threshold to win a title this season. But yeah, given how the start of the season has gone, given how everyone's wavered, it, it, there is a possibility as well that, that consistency could kind of car carry them through. It kind of gives them a baseline that no one else ha has with everyone else wavering all over the place. Although get, the suspicion probably is that City will just eventually motor away, even if they, ha they have the odd massive blip. Miguel, Wenger said after the game that he actually feels more intensely now about results than he did when he first took over because he knows so many people at the club. He's been there so long. It's such a big part of his life and he knows the impact that results have on a lot of people connected to it. Uh, uh, Daniel Taylor wrote an article saying that Wenger didn't go on holidays this summer. Mm. Just went in there into the office, chipping away every day, strategizing about how he was going to get Arsenal back to the very top there. And I bring that up because there is a sense sometimes you're looking at it thinking, well, and certainly Arsenal fans have accused Wenger of this. Does he really care that much about not winning the league? I mean, he's done very well. He's making plenty of money. He's in a very stable job. He clearly does still care about it. So, uh, so it's, it's nice to see Wenger getting a result like this. 
Yeah, absolutely. But this is the problem. He almost cares so much, but then also cares about his principles so much. I mean, running right through the last 10 years of Wenger's career has almost been the self-defeating purism. I mean, you could even see it on Friday uh, in his Sunday newspaper press conference. We were discussing, you know, obviously about Martial came up. And he was asked about, uh, asked about George Mendes. And, you know, basically intimated. He, he didn't say it outright, but he said uh, he's never dealt with him since Ronaldo, since he tried to get Ronaldo in 2003 before United got him. Um, they've never been involved. And he, he goes off in, um, as Wenger put it, different directions, special clubs. Now, given M- Mendes' quarter, for, first of all, if you look at the striker situation, you know, Wenger says the only place producing strikers now is South America because of a different way of coaching. Mendes pretty much controls that market, bringing a lot, bringing a lot of young strikers through to Porto and the like. You know, that's almost a gateway into Europe. But he he specifically identifies young strikers in the way Wenger used to do. You know, if you if you look at the the line of of top fours Arsenal have had, he got Nelk at seventeen as a kind of almost wide player, Henri at twenty one as a wide player, and Percy at twenty one as a wide player. So it's almost like he's been cornered off those markets. And because he won't do business with Mendes, even though he didn't outright say that, but I think we can read between the lines there. He's de- he's denying himself, um, you know, better opportunities to win. That's it. So yeah, it, it does come back to he almost cares too much, but cares in doing it his way. Yep, Miguel, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. No problem, lads. Cheers. Are you rooting for Arsene Wenger again? I have to say, I, I am really. Uh, I mean, just in the. You got to take a holiday, though. I think you really You've should. Got to take at least a week. Well, you know, it's it's. I I thought that was a really kind of. Uh, kind of almost a sad little insight into into this man's life you know you got to be able to do that you got you, you should do that i mean it would be it's the right thing to do it's not it's the responsible thing to do in professional terms is to take a couple of weeks away because the world you know just to, just to get reacquainted with the world and the fact that there is a world outside what you're doing. He does look like somebody who can relax, though, from time. We remember the... You can. Well, yeah, remember the pictures of him in the World Cup? It was on, was it, uh, whatever beach it was in Brazil, playing beach volleyball? Oh, yeah. Or yeah. Vo- beach volleyball football, whatever you call that. Yeah. Okay. Beach volleyball. Wenger <laughs> playing beach volleyball. It was probably, it was probably beach football. Yeah. That he was playing, but well, he, no, no, but it was actually over as a in, net. It was on a volleyball court, yeah. yeah but yeah. they were kicking, head, 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 heading, and volleying he, the ball. Yeah, I mean, I just think, I mean, you know, it, it was it was reported recently, for instance, that uh, you know uh, his his marriage or his wife had filed for a divorce. Arsene Wenger's wife, it, she, they had been together for a long time, and they had got married recently enough, actually, in twenty ten. Though they'd they'd had a much longer relationship than that, but she recently filed for divorce, which. You know, I mean, Arsene Wenger's personal life is his own business, but I think it does give you an indication of the kind of strain that people can be under in their personal lives. That's that's a very difficult thing for anybody to go through, regardless, I think, of the circumstances. Um, to go through a divorce is an emotionally very difficult um, thing, that a bit of a head-wrecking event in your life. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of that's what he's been going through. Obviously, you don't hear a peep about it. All he does is work. Throw, throws himself into the work, yeah, which is uh, the refuge yeah. of a lot of people, I guess, in those situations. All right, the Rugby World Cup podcast is already out now. Today, we talked Ireland, Italy, and England being knocked out of the tournament. Uh, also, Second Captain's Live on Wednesday night. Kevin Moran's going to be your big guest on that one, a legend of two sports. And we'll have Shane Horgan and Ron O'Gara on the rugby and plenty more besides. It's Wednesday night in RT2. In the meantime, um, thanks for listening to this one. Hope you enjoyed it. So much happened at the at the weekend. Hopefully you'll continue to get busy. Thursday night, of course, is Ireland against Germany. So we'll get a podcast out for you 
on Thursday ahead of that game. Uh, a little bit of a preview of that one. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you, Al. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. <laughs>